In Hebrews 13, verses 1 to 6, if you are not there already, Hebrews 13, verses 1 to 6. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, even as we gather here in hope this morning in Christ alone, there are many burdens on our hearts. There are many things that would tempt us to worry or fear. And yet I pray that the testimony of our heart would be what we have just confessed in song, that it is well with my soul. In Christ alone it is well. What a proclamation. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Heavenly Father, it is in that hope that we gather this morning. It is in that hope that we lift your name, responding to what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And even as we turn our attention to this passage this morning, We pray that your spirit would work in each and every one of our hearts and lives. Show us where we are weak. Open our eyes to those temptations and those burdens and then turn them to Jesus Christ. Let us see hope. Let us cling to faith. Let us grow in the Lord. Change us this morning, Heavenly Father, for your glory and for our good. Pray that you'd be with me as I preach that you would give me strength and boldness to proclaim the word of God with clarity and with authority, that you may be honored in all that is said and done. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Did that last song... It is well with my soul. That song that we sang right before the service, did that resonate with you this morning? How many of you are here this morning and you are tired? You are worn down from life in a broken and a sinful world. There are burdens on your shoulders, burdens on your soul that seem unbearable. Your weakness seems so evident. Your heart is prone to fear. Your faith is shaking. Life doesn't make sense. And even as we sang that song, it is well with my soul. That's the testimony of your heart. But it's hard to say. If that's you this morning, then the book of Hebrews is written for you. We've been working our way through this book. We've come to the last chapter. And I must confess, as we launched into Hebrews, that I was a little overwhelmed. Hebrews is an intimidating book to preach through. 
The theology is deep. The doctrine is deep, but it is glorious. I found a book of rich in doctrine and practical in application. Truly, the book of Hebrews is a gift to the church. And Hebrews is written to believers who are tired and overwhelmed, just like many of you this morning. It's written to those who are weighed down by heavy burdens. We've talked about it all through this book. They're being pulled from two sides, from both Jerusalem and Rome. They know that persecution is coming. Their faith is is not easy. There is a lot at stake. There is a lot that is calling them to renounce the faith, to turn from Jesus Christ. Embrace the easy life. Just, Just do what is easy. Yet the author of Hebrews writes, he writes them to fight that. Do not turn from the faith, but stand strong in the Lord. The author of Hebrews calls them to take their eyes off of their burdens and their fears and their doubts and to turn them to Jesus Christ. Look to the cross, to his blood that cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Look to his resurrection that guarantees our salvation and our hope. Look to his ascension to the right hand of the Father, to his present ministry pleading for us. So really what the author of Hebrews has done is he's he's taken these burdens and these fears and these troubles of living in a sinful world, a broken world, And he's put it next to the glory and the power of Jesus Christ and the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And it makes this world look like nothing. Our troubles are real and they hurt, but the glory of of heaven, the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ, is so much greater. So I hope that you've been as encouraged as I have as we've worked our way through this book. That your eyes, too, have been turned from your present struggle and placed firmly on your hope in Christ. Turned from this world around us that is broken, that is dying, and turned to an eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken, even as we saw last week. And so this morning, as we turn our attention to the last chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, the author of Hebrews here gets very, very practical. He's already laid the foundation. He's, he's taken us through the, the deep doctrine. What is true? You have hope. But now the question is, well, what does it look like to live with hope? I have that. I've seen Jesus Christ. I've seen what is mine in Him. And I'm rejoicing. But what does it look like to practically live in that hope? What does it look like to live as citizens of an eternal, unshakable kingdom? Even as I find myself 
living with the burdens of a broken world. As we turn our attention to this passage, we'll see that you must love with perspective and you must live with perspective. That's what it looks like to live in a broken world even as you are a citizen of an eternal kingdom. It looks like living, loving with perspective and it looks like living with perspective. I feel like I'm losing my voice, so if it goes in the middle of this, someone else can come up and finish this for me. <clears throat> We're going to start here with you must love with perspective. Verses 1 to 4. You must love with perspective. As we came to the end of chapter 12, even as I've already alluded to, the author of Hebrews turns our attention to this unshakable kingdom. Everything else in this world is going to fade away. It is going to burn up. It will be gone. It doesn't matter. The one thing that you must cling to is the kingdom of Jesus Christ because it is unshakable. So in light of that, he, he turns then to Hebrews 13, number one. Let brotherly love continue. Notice there in verse one that brotherly love is assumed. In fact, in this context, brotherly love was necessary. We've already talked about the fact that they, they had nothing else. Rome is bearing down on them. Jerusalem views them as outcasts. What family that, that they may have, if they have not come to Christ with them, they've likely abandoned them. These are those who know persecution and rejection. And yet what they have come to find is that the deepest fellowship is not based on race or family, but it's based in Christ. They know brotherly love because it is all they have. This ties in perfectly with Sunday school this morning if you were here from Galatians 6. What is, what is this brotherly love? It's more than a, a passing interest. It's more than an awkward conversation in the lobby once a week. It is a deep care for those around you. Going out of your way to support and encourage and care for them. And so here in these first few verses, the, the author of Hebrews really takes this idea of brotherly love and expands it into three specific areas. Loving strangers, loving one another, and loving your spouse. He starts with the idea of loving strangers. It's kind of an odd place to begin, but, but note what he says in verse 2. Let brotherly love continue. What does this look like? Number one, do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Positively stated, this would be, be hospitable. Be hospitable. Have people into your home. Back in the first century, 
They didn't have hotels like we do today. They had some inns, but they were not always the safest place to stay. Really, the best way to travel over long distances was to have connections, houses that you can stop at. But put yourself in the place of these Christians. There's a lot at stake if they bring people into their house. Rome is cracking down on believers. If it becomes known, if they have someone in their house, a stranger who comes along, who needs a place to stay, and they take them in out of the love and their hearts and their, their caring for them, if they are at all being faithful, that person will notice something different about them. That person will notice that, that this person, this is one of those Christians I've heard about. It's very possible that they will go on and they could report them. There's danger to, this, to these Hebrews, to, to these uh, believers to whom Hebrews is written. And yet note what the author of Hebrews says. He does not say, be careful entertaining strangers. Be mindful, be careful, be wise. He says, don't forget to entertain strangers. The idea is that you should be doing this. This is a regular part of brotherly love, loving not just those you get along with, but even strangers looking for opportunities to love others. We don't have random people who knock on our door, normally, maybe you do, I don't, who knock on our door and ask if they can stay the night as they're passing through. That's not so much of a cultural custom anymore. But I think the principle here still carries over. Don't ignore the people that the Lord brings across your path in your life. Whether that is an opportunity to have them in your home, or whether that's someone who the Lord brings across your path that needs help and you have the opportunity to help them. The author of Hebrews doesn't say, be careful, they might take advantage of you. Be careful, they might use that money to, to go buy drugs. He says, don't forget to entertain strangers. You don't know their context. You don't know what they're going to do with your hospitality. You don't know if they're going to report you to the authorities. You could be thrown in prison. Your life could be put in danger because of this. But don't forget to entertain strangers. But he goes on to say something kind of strange. By so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. It's not necessarily a motivation to hospitality. But here what we see is a possible benefit. Really the idea when you get down to the, the heart of this is that you have no idea how far-reaching the effects of your hospitality could be. Immediately our minds go to Genesis 18, verses 1 to 3, at least mine do, where, where Abraham is entertaining strangers, and they do happen to be angels. The Lord uses that mightily in Abraham's life. You don't know. Maybe, maybe these who are passing through, maybe they are an angel. 
Maybe they're just a person that you could share the gospel with. You don't know how far-reaching the effects of your hospitality could be just by showing brotherly love. Just by being willing to be inconvenienced. Really what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that the benefits far outweigh the dangers. How many people have been led to the Lord or encouraged in their faith in a living room or over a a kitchen table? How many of you have been so encouraged in your faith as you've gone over to someone else's house and you sit there and they tell you about what the Lord is doing? Friday into Saturday, we were a couple men and I went up to camp for the men's retreat. And our state uh, rep, Pastor Capon, was the speaker. And he was speaking about, about the family, about being a, a good husband and a father. And one of the things he said is we always included our children in things. When we were discipling people, we would often do it in our home. We'd have people come in and sit at our table And many people came to the Lord around that table simply because they were willing to be inconvenienced. Because they were willing to give their time to do that. To some of you, that comes easily. To some of us, it's more difficult. And it's it's difficult depending on where you are in life. It's a lot harder now for my wife and I with four little kids than it was when we were, didn't have any kids. And yet, the author of Hebrews says, when it is convenient for you, entertain strangers. When your kids have grown and they've left, you know, when you've become financially stable, then entertain strangers. He says, don't forget. Don't forget. Because you are living in a broken world, and it's very possible that you will be taken advantage of. But you are waiting for an eternal kingdom. There is more at stake here. So don't forget to entertain strangers. But it doesn't stop there. He says, also, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Really, this is going to one another then, because the idea is likely that these prisoners are brothers and sisters in Christ who have been thrown into prison for their faith. And again, this goes to even a first century custom, a practice, is that often those in prison were dependent on those outside of prison to help them in prison. To provide food and necessary materials to survive. It wasn't like our prisons today where those things are just automatically provided by the state. You needed someone else who who cared for you, who kept up with you. This is part of brotherly love, not just for for strangers, but for one another. And note this phrase. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. As if you are right there beside them. They are those who are mistreated. Don't let them also feel forgotten by the church. Don't let them feel forgotten by their brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Romans 12, 15 tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Don't forget those who are suffering. Don't forget those who are going through a difficult time, whether that is physically in prison, whether it is something else. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Support them. Be there alongside them as if you are going through that thing with them. I encourage you sometime to look up Matthew 25, verses 35 to 36. See what that has to say along these lines, what Jesus himself has to say. When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Note the last phrase here in verse 3. Since you yourselves are in the body also. You are in the body also. You know their weaknesses. You know their temptation. You know the temptation, even in prison, in this body, in the reality of living in a broken world, even though our hope is on the eternal kingdom, you know the temptation that they have to worry and to doubt and to fall away. You have that same problem when something small in your life goes bad. Just imagine what they are going through. Yes, it is true that our hope is not in the flesh, but our present experience is in the flesh. So comfort them. Love them. Remind them of the truth. Support them. In fact, all throughout Hebrews, several times throughout the book of Hebrews, in in chapter 3, verses 12 to 13, in chapter 10, verses 24 to 25, and then here again this morning in chapter 13, we see the importance of community. The author of Hebrews is regularly bringing up the importance of community. Watch out for one another. Care for one another. Love one another. whether they are walking through doubts or whether they are literally chained up in prison, be there alongside them. It's kind of a strange change here. Transition. From brotherly love in terms of entertaining strangers, of being hospitable, to even ministries of of mercy or care, Really, the transition here is from brotherly love to marital love. Which is still in the realm of brotherly love. Marriage is honorable among all in the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. What we have here is a definitive statement on the goodness of marriage and the purity of the act of marriage and the plan and the purpose of God. It is honorable. It is good. It is pure. It is faithful. We talk often of the sanctity of human life. What we mean by that is the idea that human life is, the idea of sanctity is is holy or set apart by God, unique. That's the idea here too. Marriage also is unique in God's plan, set apart, created by God Himself. 
It's the sanctity of marriage. It is God's idea. It is given meaning and purpose by God himself. This fits right in along with the Bible's teaching on marriage in Genesis 1 and 2. Ephesians 5. Other passages that deal with the husband or the wife or, or singleness and marriage. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 to 7. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 to 16. All of these are testifying to this very truth that marriage is honorable. It is a good thing. The bed, the act of marriage is undefiled. It is pure in God's plan and purpose. How often do we view our marriages as in the realm of even brotherly love? Husband, your wife is your, also your sister in Christ. Wife, your, your husband is also your brother in Christ. Don't think of them just as people that you married, but, but they have that same hope, that same inheritance in Christ. They are growing alongside you together. Does your marriage proclaim the preciousness of marriage? The glory of marriage? Do others see that? Marriage is honorable. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. The author of Hebrews has already mentioned the fact that, that these in prison... They are in the body. They are struggling against the flesh. These fears that would so easily creep in. It's the same thing here. Marriage is honorable, and yet we are in the flesh. There are temptations to fornication and adultery, but don't miss this. Being in the flesh is not an excuse to live according to the flesh. God is just, and sin is serious, and God will not overlook it. I mean, note the language here. God will judge. It's serious. God is just. So love one another. Entertain strangers. Remember prisoners. Love your husband or your wife, your spouse. And how can we do all of these things? Loving strangers could be dangerous. Loving those in prison is inconvenient. Loving my husband or my wife is, is, is frustrating sometimes. It is difficult. How can I do this living in a broken world? It's because you're loving with an eternal perspective. It's because you're hoping in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Your hope is not here. So love like your hope is not here. But secondly, we must live with perspective as well. Let your conduct, your, your way of life, 
Be without covetousness. The idea there is the, the love of money. Even going all the way back to chapter 12, verse 16, even the idea of being focused on the here and now, like Esau. Don't live that way. Don't live focused on the here and now, trying to get what you can get here, because this life is not where your hope is. So just like we do not live like everything depends on here, love like everything depends on here, so we do not live like everything depends on here. Don't live covetous, but be content with such things as you have. It's interesting, in chapter 10, verses 32 to 34, the author of Hebrews is, is writing about these very believers, and he says that they have known plundering and suffering. They have had their things taken away. They have lost a lot. This suffering that is coming, that's going to be more intense, it's already come in some sense. They've already known plundering. They've already lost things. And yet the author of Hebrews is calling them to be content. Don't you know what we've been through? Don't you know what we've faced? But be content with what you do have. How? How can I be content? It's like the author of Hebrews, or uh, it's like Paul says in Philippians 4, 11 to 13. I've learned how to be content with a lot and with a little because I know that I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Be content with such things that you have. How? Why? Because he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Be content because God is with you and he knows exactly what he is doing in and through you. It is not an accident that you have been plundered, that you have lost those things that you love. It's not like God had, had turned away. God did not miss that. God is right there alongside you. He is working in you, even as we saw in chapter 12. All discipline is for your good and for God's glory. In fact, this passage, I will never leave you nor forsake you, it's a quote. Um, the idea that we see in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. The context there in Deuteronomy is of the looming conquest of Canaan as the children of Israel has come, have come to the edge of the Jordan River and they're about to cross in. And they're afraid. They're very scared. But God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You can face whatever conquest lies ahead because I am with you. In fact, this quotation really takes the meaning here in Hebrews beyond just financial contentment, but even into all of life. I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Never. Really, when you get down to it, 
Contentment is rooted in faith. Faith conducts itself with contentment because faith believes what God has said. Faith believes in the superiority of Jesus Christ. It believes in the goodness of God's discipline and the certainty of the kingdom. And so therefore, faith is content even even living in a broken world and hoping for an eternal kingdom. Faith is content because it believes that I will never leave you nor forsake you. In fact, not only is faith content, but it equips us to then boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? On YouTube, you can get into a... I don't know if you've ever watched videos on YouTube and you click on another video and another video and another video and and you're watching all these videos on this thing. Next thing you know, you've been there for two hours. On YouTube, you can go down a a rabbit hole of self-help people. Do this to get organized. Do this, do this, do this, and your life will be easier. And a lot of those people will tell you that contentment is the enemy of advancement. Brothers and sisters, that is not true. Contentment is not the enemy of advancement. Contentment does not hold you back. Contentment equips and empowers you to move forward in faith. Because contentment recognizes that it's not up to me. It's up to my God who is working in and through and for me. And so I will trust him. So I will step back and I will be content. In fact, it is contentment itself that equips me to boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear because he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. So what can man do to me? If God is with us, who can be against us? It's actually a quote, this phrase, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? It's a quote from Psalm 118, verse 6. And the context here in Psalm 118 is is the psalmist who is surrounded by enemies who threaten to destroy him. But the Lord sees that. The Lord never took his eye or turned his back on the psalmist. In fact, the Lord saves him. He delivers him. He destroys his enemies. And this is the testimony of that psalmist. This is what I have come to see, that the Lord is my helper. No matter what this this world may have around me, no matter how many enemies... No matter what my circumstances are, the Lord is my helper. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Therefore, how do I react to that reality? I won't fear. Because I know that man can do nothing to me that my good and sovereign God will not allow. I will not fear. I will be content. With Psalm, Psalm 118.6, it's really, it's the language of faith. It's the language of contentment. I will trust in the Lord. I will not conduct myself. I will not live my life with covetousness. I will live a life of contentment. Why? 
because yes, I am living in a broken world, but I am waiting on an eternal kingdom. So here in Hebrews 13, verses 1 to 6, there's all these different things. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. But behind all of these things, behind entertaining strangers, behind remembering prisoners, behind recognizing the the honorableness and the the pureness of, of marriage and being faithful, behind being content and being bold, behind all of this is faith. Is the reality that yes, I am living in a broken world that makes these things more difficult, but I can do them because I have an eternal hope, because I have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. See, this passage is not a call to morality. It's not just the, the author of Hebrews saying, do this and do this and do this and do this. It's not a call to morality. It's a call to reality. Don't do this. Because you're a Christian, you have to do these things to please God. That's not the way it works. Do this. Live this way because you are a Christian and because your hope is in Christ. Do this because of what is yours in Christ. Do this because of your hope that will not fade Do this because you are a citizen of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Be hospitable. Be kind and merciful. Love your spouse. Be content and be bold in faith. Not in your own strength or for your own benefit, but in Christ. Because of what is true. Live according to the truth. The truth matters. It should impact how you live. These are the things that mark the life of one who understands that they are living for more than the here and now. That their hope is not tied to this world. These are the actions of those who know that they are citizens of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that? Do you believe that you are a citizen of a kingdom that cannot be shaken? Do you believe that your your hope is not tied to the here and now? Yes, life is difficult, and yes, you have burdens. Burdens beyond belief. Some of you are walking roads that that none of us have ever walked. We don't know the burdens that are bearing down on your soul, the temptations that are pulling you. But this I do know, that if you are in Christ, your hope is not here. You are not living for the here and now. Yes, you are living in a broken world, but you are waiting for an eternal kingdom. So cling to that hope. Reorient your perspective. If you are in Christ, you must love with perspective and you must live with perspective. Maybe even this morning as we transition to the end of our service, 
Maybe you've been challenged in your faith. Maybe you are one to whom those burdens and those fears, maybe they're starting to get the the better of you. Hear the call this morning to reorient your perspective, to back up and remember that you are a citizen of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That God is at work in and through you. And so you can rejoice always. Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe all this sounds strange. Maybe you don't know very much about Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't know very much about the cross or his resurrection, this thing that we call the gospel. Even as we close the service, I would love nothing more than if you would come to the front and just grab me and I'd love to take you out to open a Bible and to point you to Jesus Christ and to answer your questions and to tell you how you too can have this hope. To tell you how how, how you too can have a hope that is not tied to this world, but you become a citizen of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Even as we close the service, I invite you to come and to find me down here at the front. I'd love to point you to Jesus Christ.